Romans chapter 12 this morning, and we're going to come back to those first couple of verses. Last week we looked at verse 1, and this week we'll look at verse 2. The first 11 chapters of Romans are doctrinal, and doctrine is what we believe. It's teaching about what we believe. And uh, <clears throat> that was Paul's practice in his letters. He'd spend the first part of his letter teaching the doctrine, and then he would spend the last half of his letter teaching our duty as believers. Or as one author put it, uh, Romans chapter 12 through 16 is dutiful. It's the gospel lived out in our everyday lives. So, Paul talked about our position in the first 11 chapters, and all of the blessings and the mercies that we have in Christ. And in the last chapters, 12 through 16, he talks about our practice. What should our lives be like? How should we respond to this great truth that we've learned in our daily lives? And in verse 1, we respond by giving God our bodies. In verse 2... By giving God our minds. And in verses 3, down there a ways, uh, down to verse 8 or 9 there, we give God our gifts. That's how we respond uh, to the great mercy. So in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is... Your reasonable service. It's only reasonable. What? Know ye not that ye are not your own? That you're bought with a price? The Bible says The Bible says that God purchased our bodies when He redeemed us. And therefore we should glorify God in our bodies. He has, he has the title for that property. It belongs to Him. In verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, and, but be ye transformed... By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, Paul says. So, biblical salvation results in a great change. He says, don't be conformed, be transformed. Don't be a conformer, be a transformer. There is a great change that happens when a person is truly saved. And it's not an automatic change. It's something that, it doesn't happen all at once, you see. It, it's a progressive thing. It, it happens over the course of your life. And it's wrought by God. God does it. God makes this change, you see. And um, it's something that God does when we present ourselves to God, when we present our bodies, which really means our whole lives, to God for service. And when we do that... And we allow God to renew our minds. He progressively, little here, little there, changes our lives. And the change happens on the inside and works its way outside. And that change is going to take the rest of your life. And as we studied recently, what God is doing is He's making image bearers. He's changing us to make us more like Christ, like His Son. That's the goal, to be like Jesus And that won't be accomplished completely and finally until the Lord takes us home. And then when that happens, we're glorified. You see, when you get saved, you're justified. Justified by faith alone. That means to be made right with God. 
Your sin canceled out. By faith, you're justified. Then God in your lifetime is sanctifying you. That's a progressive thing. It's a process. It's continual. It's ongoing. But the final part is glorification. Justification, sanctification, glorification. That's when we're with the Lord. When we drop this mortal coil, this is the problem. Our flesh, our old nature. Praise God, we won't be able to sin anymore. We'll be glorified. We'll get a glorified body and we'll be like Jesus. We'll, have the, we'll think like Him. You know, We won't be a God, but we'll be like Him in that sense of having a glorified body. It'll, it'll be done one of these days. But back to the nasty now and now. Amen. Now, God wants us to be, conform, no, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll dive into this. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I, th- I thank you for this message today. Lord, uh, I pray that you'd slow down my, my speech and my thoughts and help me, Lord, to, to get this across clearly in a way that's helpful and easy to understand. So I pray that you'd make it easy to preach this morning. Pray, Father, that you would... Bless the hearers, bless your people, that we'd be helped by this, that we'd be encouraged, Lord. Uh, There's so much in this world right now to discourage us. There's so much bad news. We thank you for the good news this morning of the gospel of Jesus Christ and its power to change lives. I'm thankful, Lord, I'm not the person I was when you saved me. I'm different. And I'm not the person that I used to be before I got saved. But you're, you're working in me. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help all of us to, uh, to be submitted to that, to surrender to that on a daily basis. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So first of all, the Bible tells us if we're going to give our minds to God as our reasonable service, it tells us, be not conformed to this world. Now that's my first point. It's saying, leave the ways of this world. This is a separation. Leave the ways of this world. Don't be conformed to it. What does that word conform mean? It means to fashion yourself after the world. Some have described it as, don't let the world you know, pour you into their mold and, and make you like them. Because we're supposed to be different. When a Christian gets saved, there's a change that happens. A lot of people won't get saved because they don't want to change. They're not willing to repent of their sins. They're not willing to turn to God by faith. and They, they want to go their own way and they don't want to change. And so when they hear the gospel, they reject Jesus Christ. Because they'd rather go their own way. They want to be like the world. And God calls us... To leave the ways of the world. We're not supposed to follow ungodly men and and ungodly women. We're not supposed to follow their ways. We're not supposed to fashion ourselves like them. But that's exactly what we do, isn't it? You know, especially when you think back to your youth. We we look up to somebody. It might be a basketball hero. Or it might be a, a musician. Or it might be one thing or another. It might be a Hollywood actor. Uh, But one way or another, we look up to somebody and we want to fashion ourselves like them. I was listening to a man, he was teaching about uh, troubled youth and he counsels uh, troubled youth. And he's been doing it for 34 years. And 
He talks about going into to schools and, and looking at the kids, and they all think, you know, I'm my own person, I'm an individual, but at the same time, they want to belong to a group. You know, young people want that. They want to be accepted by a group, but they also want to be individual and be, I'm my own person, you know. And he says, he'd look around at all the kids, and he'd say, you think that you're your own person and that you're unique, but you're all wearing the same clothes. You know, they come to school wearing the same things, a lot of them. And in one group, they'll all dress the same way. Then there'll be another group, and they'll all dress the same way. But they, they find their group that they identify with. And with that fashion, with that outward appearance, and with that attitude and that, that manner of life, also comes some behaviors and some words and some ways of talking and some, some goals, some things that you think that you want to become. Children decide that by the age of 14 is what they say. They decide what they want to become. You know, and uh, so they pick something, they pick a, a fashion, they pick a person, they pick something, and they go after that. Well, the Bible says that when you get saved, you're not to live like that anymore. You're not to follow the people of this world, the ungodly. You know what that means? The ungodly? It doesn't just mean wicked, you know, sinful, terrible people. We're not, to, we're not to follow this world, the, the ungodly. What it means is that to be ungodly is to live as if there's no God. To be worldly is, is a lot like to be ungodly. It's, it's to live as if we're not accountable to God. It's, God's not even in the equation. To be ungodly means you have no reverence for God. No fear of God. His word means nothing. His authority over you as your maker and as your judge is not even considered. What his word says about gender, you know, you have boys these days that are pretending to be girls and girls pretending to be boys. And sometimes they pick up that identification when they're right at that stage at about 14 years of age and they decide they want to do this and they continue on in that not knowing that it's wrong. But to be ungodly is just to ignore what God says. In the beginning, God made them male and female. He created them. So if you're ungodly, God's not even in the equation. You might be a pretty decent person. Overall, a good friend and work hard in school or work hard at, at, at life and, and your job. And, you know, pretty decent to your neighbors. You know, if there's a tornado and trees get knocked down, you, you'll go and help them clean up the mess in their yard, and so on. You're a pretty decent person, but still ungodly. God is not in your thoughts. He's not in your ways. You have no reverence, no desire to worship Him. That's the same thing with the world. To be worldly just means to... to that's all you care about. is just the world. The things of the world. And some of them are not necessarily all that bad, but, but that's all that matters to you. Just... Stuff, temporary things, things that are not going to last forever. No consideration, no interest in eternal things. But to be godly, to be godly and to be unworldly is to give ourselves to God, to reverence God, to fear Him, to worship Him, to learn about His person and to learn about His will. You know that God has a purpose for your life. It's called His will. He has a purpose and a plan for all of our lives. And when you're godly, you're interested in that. 
And His will is that we would be renewed in our minds and that we would not be conformed to this world. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 says this, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You see, there was a time when you used to walk just like this world. And you followed the same course But if you're saved, you got off that path and you got on the narrow way with Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 says this, Who gave himself for us that he might deliver us from this present evil world. You see, the Bible says that this world system is evil. Now, it's not talking about the trees and the river and the birds, you know, and uh, nature. It's not talking about that. It's not even talking about people. You know, God so loved the world. When the world is used in John chapter 3, verse 16, it's talking about mankind. God loves fallen, sinful mankind, enough to send His Son to die for them on the cross. And Jesus proved that He loved us because even up on the cross, those that were torturing Him and those that nailed His hands and His feet to that cross and put that spear in His side, He prayed for them and said, Father, forgive them. Proving that He was willing to forgive even the people who persecuted Him. And humanly speaking, put him to death on that cross. He can forgive anybody. If he he can forgive those Roman guards and forgive the Jews for for selling out their own Messiah, he can forgive anybody. God loves mankind. This world is beautiful. It's God's creation. It's not talking about that. It's talking about this world system. A worldly system that is evil, that is under the control and the power of Satan... And is contrary, against God, against His people, against God's will. You see, there's basically two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of light, that's God's people, and there's a kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness is contrary to God and His will and His ways. That's what we're supposed to come out from. That's what we're supposed to leave. The ways of this present evil world. It's under the direct control, influence of Satan. So how about it? How about it in your life, Christian? Brother or sister? Do you look more like the world? Or do you look more like Christ? Have you allowed the world to conform you to its image? You know, we're going to have my cousin Johnny. He's going to be down here preaching tonight. And he's more like an older brother. He's about the same age as my older brother. They ran together a lot. They were, they were just like brothers. They uh, took an interest in me when I was a teenager. And they came and got me. And they would take me to do things that, that I uh, couldn't afford to do. And my dad wasn't around to do. You know, so they would take me to do a lot of uh, fun things. Uh, they'd take me out and let me drive the car out in the country roads. You know, and go do donuts out in, in the field and stuff with the old car and just let me let me do fun stuff they took me they introduced me to a lot of bad stuff as well but they were friends to me they were they were they were they were good to me but you know my cousin Johnny when he was just a young man he grew up in church and he made a profession of faith and he asked Jesus to be his savior he was in church i mean just from his youth all the way up but when he became a teenager he rebelled against god He rebelled against the church and against the people of God, and he decided to go his own way. And so he grew his hair out long, 
You know why? Because he had somebody that he looked up to. He liked, back in that day, he liked Aerosmith, Poison, you know, Great White, I can't think of all these, Bon Jovi. I don't think he liked Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi and all his hairspray and everything. But he grew his hair out. He had long hair like a woman. And he would hairspray it and tease it. And and, uh, he started working out, you know, and getting big muscles and running around with all the girls and going out and partying and drinking. And and every once in a while, an old faithful preacher that lived close to them would would come up to them and Johnny and, and my brother Ben would be together. They both did the same thing. They had this image of this rock star lifestyle and they wanted it. And so they conformed to it. They fashioned themselves like it, like that lifestyle. And they did everything that the rock stars do. They even started playing guitar and all that. Well, that old preacher would come up to him every once in a while and say, Now, you know, you know, Johnny, the Bible says that all have sinned. And they'd just be trembling. <laughs> this old preacher man coming up quoting the Bible to him when they're, you know, half out of their minds on drugs and alcohol and quoting the scriptures to him, just come up to him and just remind him, you know, the Bible says all have sinned. Oh yeah, I know that, I know that. Well, you know that God's a merciful God and Jesus loves you and there's nothing you can do that he won't forgive you. Yeah, I know that, I know that. Just go away, you know. Just try to get rid of that old man as quick as they could. And just go on to, no, I don't want to think about God. I don't want to think about His Word. I just want to do what I want to do. I want to be conformed to this world. You know, and every once in a while, God would send that old preacher man to come around again. And he told me about one time when him and my brother were sitting in their driveway out in their little country home that my cousin grew up in. They're sitting out in the driveway. It's nighttime. They're sitting there in the car, you know, doing, you know what they were doing. And uh, here comes that old preacher man. He walks right up to the window and they got to roll the window down, and he started telling them, you know, God loves you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, boys. Wages of sin is death. Are you saved? You don't want to die in your sins. You'll go to hell. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you. You can go to heaven when you die. Give you a brand new life, you know, and they just listen to that. And Johnny respected him, right? He respected that old preacher, man, because he was telling him the truth. But Johnny had a bad conscience, and he wanted to go on in his sin. I mean, he started to spiral out of control because he, he was miserable in it, really. And he'd go, and they'd go into Columbus, and they'd go do things, and go to these parks, and go do things. And, and they might be, in a, might be in some place, you know, having, doing some kind of entertainment, and Johnny would get a little bit too drunk, and when he got drunk, he'd fight. And one time, he got in a fight, and, and uh, picked a fight with the wrong guy. It was a police officer that was there to get them out of there because they weren't... They weren't uh, behaving themselves and got in a fight with a police officer, was thrown in jail. I mean, they were, they were mean guys. Him and my brother both. They would just go down in Zanesville, just go down the strip where everybody cruised. Back then, that's what they did. They cruised. And they'd just look for the guy that seemed like he was the toughest, biggest loudmouth and just beat the tar out of him. Just to, just to fight. They were good fighters. He wanted to be a cage fighter at one time. I remember him telling me that. And I don't have any doubt that he'd be able to do it. You know, the UFC cage fighting. That was Johnny. Following that way. But you know what happened? God got a hold of his heart. And when, when, when God saved my brother, who was also following that same lifestyle, my brother witnessed to me, and he, he, he led me to Christ just a month after he got saved. And when my, when my cousin Johnny saw that, he came under conviction, and he felt guilty because he realized he steered me down the wrong path, he steered my brother Ben down the wrong path, and in spite of all of that, God still saved my brother Ben, still saved me, and then Johnny got right with the Lord. 
And you know what happened? As a result of that, Johnny decided, I don't want to be conformed to this world anymore. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And, I, and, and, and long story short, Johnny ended up becoming a gospel preacher. He went to Bible college, and now he's a pastor of a church. But listen, do you realize that a backslidden Christian deciding to conform himself to this world almost ended in the death of my brother? My brother was clinically depressed, suicidal, sitting on his bed, like I've told you before, with a gun and about ready to end his life. And would have done it, no doubt in my mind. Would have done it. But the Holy Spirit stopped him, arrested him, and said, you got that Bible up in that closet that your wife bought you and you've never read it. Maybe you ought to get it down and take a look at it. And you see, my brother might have killed himself. I might have continued on in my way, which was not healthy. Never gotten saved. I'd rejected the gospel a couple of times. And all that would have happened because of a backslidden Christian who was conformed to this world. And to this day, he'll probably say it tonight. To this day, my cousin Johnny, who's more like my brother, he says, he says John Paul, I'm so sorry for leading you down the wrong path. I'm so sorry for introducing you to some of the things that I introduced you to. I should have been a good witness to you, and I wasn't. But you know what? You might be like Johnny, Pastor John Bell. You might be like him. But praise God, in His mercy, if we decide we're going to leave the ways of this world, and we're going to come to Jesus Christ, and we're going to say, Lord, I'm sorry for fooling around, Sorry for being worldly. I'm miserable and I don't want to continue on like this. The Lord will then take you just like you are. Will restore the relationship to God. Will forgive you. Cleanse you. Pick you up off the ground. Dust you off. Set you off on the right path where you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that's the second point. The second thing that God wants us to do, He wants us to learn the will of God. You see, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind is like the control center. Your mind controls your actions. You decide what you're going to do. We reason in our minds. We plan. We dream. And it all happens up here. This is the control center and it controls this. It controls the whole life. And God wants to renew your mind. God wants you to be a nonconformist. Amen. He wants you to have new values. New motives. You know who we're supposed to pattern our life after? Who we're supposed to fashion our life after? It's not... Stephen Tyler from, from Aerosmith. It's Jesus Christ. That's who he wants us to fashion our life after. So we have new motives and we have new ends. We have new goals for our lives when we transform our minds. You know that word translated transformed is, is the word that we get our word metamorphosis from. God wants us to metamorphosize our minds. To let him metamorphose us by our minds 
And it it happens when you're exposed to this, you see. A worldly person doesn't want to hear this. An ungodly person doesn't want to learn from this. But a person who is just repentant and, and humble and submissive and sits down at the feet of Jesus wants to soak this in and wants to learn this. Wants to be metamorphosized. You know, uh, I was sitting down on the couch and I was, you know, thinking about this and what that word means. And, and we all know, you know, how a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. We learned that at the earliest age. But I thought, Lucas, he's getting ready to go into kindergarten. And I thought, he's probably never heard this. We're going to sit down and we're going to watch a YouTube video, which is a great way to instruct children. Uh, so we have this little YouTube video and I'm sitting there at the couch with him. And, and Lucas says, that's a caterpillar. And I was about ready to say, that's a caterpillar. And he said it before me. And then, and then he's like, and it was one of those things where they speed up the camera so you can see it all happening in just a matter of a couple minutes. And then he said, and it's hanging upside down. And I was about ready to tell him that. Hanging upside down from a branch. And, and it's changing colors. I just, he was telling me the whole thing. And I'm like, where did he learn this? But I remembered he grew up watching uh, uh, Baby Einstein. He's been watching that his whole life. So he's already learned all this. But it's amazing to watch the way that that caterpillar does that. I haven't seen it in a long time. And then it cocoons itself, and then after a matter of time, emerges this beautiful monarch butterfly. It's a change, you see, and that's the picture. It's a change from the inside out. And it happens when God uses His Word to clean up our minds, to bathe our minds, to inform our minds, to change the way that we think, to change our attitudes. But it's an inward change. And that inward change eventually changes us on the outside. You see, I'm not talking about you need to get right with God and you need to start dressing like me. You ought to wear a shirt and tie and shoes and all that kind of stuff. And you ought to cut your hair and all. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about letting God change you on the inside. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. You go into that cocoon and you're just an ugly caterpillar. Just an ugly worldly sinner. But God loves you and take you just like you are and clean you up. And the end result is not looking like this. The end result is looking like Jesus Christ. That's the end result. By renewing your mind. I don't know how that happens. How does a caterpillar change like that inside of that cocoon? I don't know. You know, I don't know how a cow can eat grass and make milk. I was curious about that too, so I started learning about that. How do you go from moo to you? How do you go from grass to a glass? I don't know. So I started learning about it. Well, they say that there's a circulatory system that goes throughout the whole cow's body and it transports water and oxygen and nutrients to the udder. Obviously, the female cow is the only one that can do it. And in that udder, that udder somehow turns those three ingredients, water, oxygen, and nutrients, into milk. So now you understand how it happens? No, you don't. Neither do I. You know, it's it's incredible. It's just, it's amazing. And I don't know how God changes a life by exposure to the Word of God and renewing the mind and changes a person, but I just know that He does. And I know that he uses this means, the means of grace is the word of God and the church ministry and fellowship and the ministry of teachers and preachers and it's discipleship. That's how he does it. And, uh, it, and I know it works. 
And I know that we don't see it as much as what you know, others do from their perspective. They look at us and they can see how we've changed. You know, God wants to renew you. God wants to transform you. But in order to do that, you have to make up your mind, I'm not going to be conformed to this world. I'm going to leave the ways of this world. And I'm going to be committed to spending time in this. You see, you come to church so you can get the ministry of the Word. That's the primary thing about church. But you can't just take this and, well, when I get done, I'm just going to leave it in the car. Or when I get done, I'm going to leave it in the Bible case at church. Or when I get done, I'm going to leave it you know, on the shelf at home or sitting beside my couch. No. You need to go from a pastor teaching you in church and giving you the sincere milk of the Word and feeding you like, like a baby. We start out as babies in Christ. You need to go from that to eventually learning how to feed yourself. I love the baby stage. I miss the baby stage. I want to go back to the baby stage. But not with Lucas. You know, I want him to keep growing up, and I'm glad he can feed himself now. You know, amen. He can make a bowl of cereal. Praise God. That's wonderful, you know. We want them to be able to feed themselves. Well, I want you to be able to feed yourselves. Go home, spend time in the Word of God, and get something from it. Get something from it for your soul to learn how to do that. Because it's only then when you decide you really want to get something and want to be fed by the Word of God that this change happens. Paul puts it this way. He says it's like a mirror. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image. That is, the Bible is like a mirror, a looking glass. And you look into it, and the more you look into it, the more that you are changed into the image of Christ. And he says, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Lord does it. I don't know how He does it. But he does. But you have to present yourself to God and allow him to transform you by renewing your mind. Lastly, not only should we leave the world, and we're talking really about consecrating ourselves to God, dedicating ourselves to God. We, we want to give our lives to his service. You learn the will of God and then you live it out. Live it out. Before others, he says that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That means to show God's will to others, to, to prove it, to, to verify God's will experientially, in experience, in, in life, in daily life. To show God's will. It has to do with using your gifts in the context of the, of the chapter. That's what he's talking about. Using your gifts. If you were to read those verses down there, you know, having gifts in verse 6. Everybody's got different gifts. We're supposed to use the gifts to bless others in the church. Well, you can't prove the will of God. It can't be seen in your life, you see, until you present your bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice, and then you give your minds to the Lord and allow Him to renew you and transform your mind, to take you from having a worldly mind and a worldly attitude, worldly perspective, worldly goals, only thinking about what is temporary, to having a godly mind that is, is thinking about things that are eternal in perspective. In other words, you look at people like they're not just people, Different income levels, different gender, 
different you know, capacities and to do one thing or another. You know, funny, not funny, introvert, extrovert. You don't look at people just like that anymore. You look at them like precious souls for whom Christ died. I look at people like this. They're either God's children or they're not. And if they're God's children, I need to mind my manners in the way that I treat them. Because they're God's children. And if they're not saved, I'm supposed to love, you know, love them by giving them the gospel. Being good to them. And uh, reproving the evil. You know, correcting the evil that I see in the world. That's what I'm supposed to do. And You know, you've got to live it out before others. Zacchaeus is a great example I've just been having a good time with Lucas, so I'm going to give you another Lucas illustration. The other day we got out his little children's Bible and we're reading the story of Zacchaeus. You know, that poor Zacchaeus, he was just a little man. He didn't have any friends. You know why he didn't have friends? Because he was a liar. (laughs) And he was a cheat. He was cheating all his friends out of their money. He was a tax collector and he was supposed to... They didn't like him for that. He was collecting taxes for Rome and and, uh, Jews were like, you know, slaves to Rome and so he's taking the money from the Jews, giving it to Rome, but not just that. He was taking more than what he was actually supposed to take and cheating them out of their money, making himself rich. So he didn't have any friends. Well, one day Jesus came by and he wanted to see Jesus. He climbed up in a tree because there's so many people around Jesus. Jesus had so many friends. But he climbed up in a tree and Jesus walked up there and probably chuckled, I imagine, and said, Zacchaeus, what are you doing up in that tree? You know, you look like a perfect fool up there, you know. Grown man climbing up in a tree like that. But you know what? Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus became Zacchaeus' friend. And said, Zacchaeus, come down. We're going to eat at your house this day. And and all Zacchaeus had to do was just to meet Jesus. And when he did, it changed his life. And you know what he did? You know the story. Zacchaeus said, if I've taken anything from anybody and it wasn't right, I'm going to pay him back and I'm going to pay him back fourfold. And and he stopped lying and he changed his ways. And Jesus said that salvation came to that house. There was a change. He was no longer like the world. The world says, get all you can while you can and can all you get. And uh, if you can get it, take it. If it's theirs and you can get it, it's yours. And so that's what the world says, but what he did, he did what would please Jesus, what would please God, and his life was changed. He lived it out. Brother or sister, maybe today you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. Maybe there was a time when you had offered up your life as a living sacrifice and you took it back. Maybe you're like Demas. You know what Demas' problem was? He was serving Paul. and he did a lot of things. For years, several years he served with Paul. But Paul said, he left. He left me. He left serving God. What was his problem? He loved something that God says is evil. God says this present world's evil. And Demas, Paul says, hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. He had heart trouble. He loved something that God says is evil. And so he left serving the Lord. Maybe you're loving something and it's gotten a hold of your affections and you've conformed yourself to this world once again. Maybe you need to come back today. Maybe you need to rededicate yourself. 
Would you stand please? As we close this service, we'll have a word of prayer. Stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. You know, Matthew Henry, he was a great Bible commentator. He made a good point when he said that the service to the Lord is only acceptable when it's according to His written will. So if you want to serve the Lord acceptably, you've got to be transformed, be continually renewed in your mind. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We use the world, but we don't abuse the world. This world system is supposed to be used as a means of reaching people for the gospel, not to live in pleasure and live in sin. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, no one's looking around. You know, this message is primarily aimed at believers, and as far as I know, everybody in here is is saved and is a Christian, but the Lord knows, and the Lord knows your heart. You know, God doesn't come to condemn with the gospel. He comes to forgive. He sent His Son into this world, and Jesus went everywhere, helping people, healing them, forgiving them. And now with the gospel, God offers forgiveness, if we understand the gospel right, that Christ died for our sins. And when you understand that, you understand that He wants to take that burden of sin off of you and that guilt that you feel. He wants to remove that. He wants to cancel out all the things that you know, that you know are wrong. The thoughts, the words, the actions. You live long enough, you know it, you don't need anybody to tell you. And I'm going to tell you this, the Bible says all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. And God will not allow sin into heaven. We fall short of His standard. He will not allow sin in His holy presence. In order to be able to go to, go to heaven when you die, something has to be done about that nasty little three-letter word. So Christ died for our sins. He paid the penalty for them. He suffered all the hell that you'd ever have to suffer on that cross. He was buried, He rose again the third day, and He stands ready this morning, willing to receive you. If you'll come with a repentant heart, turning away from your sin, and trusting Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross as a payment for your sin. You can have eternal life. It's just that easy. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Our Heavenly Father, I pray in this invitation, Lord, that You would bless Lord, help us as your people. We admit, God, that what we have is not a religion. We have a relationship with you. And sometimes there are things in our lives that get in the way of that relationship. So I pray that this morning you'd help us to remove those things. And, Father, to continue with you. Being transformed into Christ. And serving you with our gifts. And I pray, Father, that that again, if somebody is not saved here this morning, that today would be the day that they come forward and trust Christ as Savior. It's in His name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation now, and I appreciate uh, your patience this morning, allowing me to deliver this message. But at this invitation time, this is when we respond. We're going to sing 451. And what I want to do, I want to give you this invitation now. If you need to be saved... Please come ahead. I've been where you are. I remember what it was like to step out of my seat 
and to come forward. And I've done that in a church where I didn't know anybody to rededicate my life to the Lord. But that's how, that's how we give the invitation. If you need to be saved, you step out of your seat, you come down here, and, and I'll be here with the Bible to pray with you and help you trust Christ as Savior. It doesn't take long. The hardest part is that first step, isn't it? And for a, for a, a wayward Christian, it's humbling. I admit it. It is humbling. But that first step, to step out of your seat and come and say, God, I am dedicating to my, my life to you once again. And uh, you say, oh, I don't want to do that in front of everybody. Everybody knows me. If that's the way you feel about it, that pride right there, that pride's going to get in your way. You don't have to come down here. But if God's put it on your heart, I'm going to tell you, He does something. When people respond in humility, they put their pride away, they come in humility, and they just come to get something set right with God. Let's sing this, this song now, Trust and Obey. We'll sing 1, 2, and 5. Let's sing on that first verse. you to come at this time. Heaven rejoices when people get saved. So do we. first step. Take that first step. The Lord, will, the Lord will come through from there. Before we're dismissed, you know, the Lord doesn't ever force anyone to do anything. God's a perfect gentleman. But God knows your heart. He knows mine. And He's always lovingly pleading. 
drawing you to Him. It's the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. Brother Clifford and I have something in common. We were both prodigals. And uh, we both didn't have the ministry of the church when we were first saved to help us to grow so that we didn't fall flat on our face. Uh, And you know what we learned? It's the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. So we both had a slow start, but praise God, (laughs) He doesn't give up on us. He keeps working on us. If He started to work on you, He will keep working on you to the day of redemption. I want to ask Brother Clifford to close us in prayer, please.